All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here. High five someone next to you and say you survived the ride. Come on, right? You survived the ride. Man, you know, I just got to say a big hello to everybody here at our Carney campus. Come on, how many, exci- how many guys are excited to be at New Life Church today? Yeah. Yeah, and then join with me in thanking all of our family that is worshiping with us at our North Platte campus right now as well. We love you guys. We love you. Yeah, I love, I love weather people. If you're a weatherman or a woman, I don't know why we always say weatherman. If you're a weather woman here, we love you. And we don't really understand why you can be wrong so many times and still have a job. But regardless of that, we still love you, okay? Uh, so anyways, we had this big snow weekend, right? It was projected like all weekend long, like, you know, everybody's, all the foods off the shelves at grocery stores, that kind of thing, right? And, um, and then we have today. So that, that's what you get. But guys, look, here's what we did. We got smart and we said this, because we know it's going to be a snow event, some people won't be able to make it. So would you also join with me in thanking those who are worshiping, worshiping with us right now online in the living room? Come on. We love you. We love you. Yeah. Hey, could you get up and get me a cup of coffee, by the way? Okay. Um, but uh, anyways, we knew that uh, there would be hindrances for some to be able to come, so we decided to do one thing, and one thing really well, and that is have one service that just rocks, right? One service that is just an opportunity just for the church to come together, worship God, be inspired by, by each other, and encounter the power of the Holy Spirit today. So that's our prayer for you today. Our prayer is that you came. And that because you came, you would inspire one another because of your worship, but you would also be uh, profoundly inspired by God's spirit as he impacts your life and changes you today so that you walk out of these doors different than you walked in. How many of you guys want to, you, you prefer to walk out different than the way you walked in today? Yeah, that's me. That's who I am. So that's where we're at, all right? That's where we're at. We're starting a brand new teaching series today. Well, we entitled it, They Call Him. You'll find out more about that as we kind of dive into it. But to get started with that, um, let me just introduce myself. My name's Jeff. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I do have a title. My title is the lead pastor of the church. Uh, I just prefer to be one of the pastors on staff. I think we have an incredible team, though, that can accomplish a lot when we lay down titles from time to time and we just strap arms together and we just go accomplish something. All right, uh, so that's kind of who we are. It's kind of our DNA. Um, my wife, Kim, is with us here uh, at the Kearney campus, and she is, uh, she's right down here in the front row. So if you're in North Platte, um, sorry, you can't see her, uh, but that's just the way it is. If you're at home watching online, you can't see her either. Kim and I, we've been married for over 30 years now. We have, um, yeah, I know. Thank you. We have four incredible children, okay? I want to introduce you to them, uh, you know, if you haven't never met our kids. They actually grew up around this church, though. So if you're newer to this church, then, then you, you may not have met all of them. Uh, but uh, our oldest is Brittany here. She lives in Omaha. And then Andrew, you know, grow, back, grow, grow out the beard big like that again, bro. Will you do that? All right, but well, he was just leading worship up here. And then Tiffany over here on the far end, her and her husband are our campus pastors out in North Platte. And then our youngest, Christian, her and her husband and their two kids, they live in Omaha as well. And we gave them all unique names. Brittany Lauren, right? Andrew Warren, Tiffany Joy, Christian Hope, right? And we gave them these names because they were special to us. 
Just like your name. Like you got your name because it is special. It was special to your parents, right? Now your name may have come from, a, from another family member. Like Andrew Warren, the name Warren was my grandfather's first name. And Andy was born shortly after my grandfather, you know, passed away. And so we kind of like gave him his name, put it in the middle because we didn't think that maybe the name, you know, Warren was going to be a very popular name. So we gave him Andrew because I wanted to call him Andy. And as he grows older, he wants to be called Andrew. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm your father. I'm calling you Andy. All right. So... There you go, Andrew, Andy. Uh, but you could be named after a family member. You, you, might, you might be named after a Bible character. How, how many guys are here, guys, guys and gals are here, you're named after a Bible character? Oh, wow, yeah, awesome, yeah, quite a few. It's awesome. Uh, some of you were named after your parent's childhood friend, by the way. Yeah, you didn't know that, did you? Uh, some of you were named, at, named the name that your parent always wanted, by the way. And so they were like, man, I always wish I would have been called this name. And so they gave you that name. Uh, some of you were named after a TV star. Anybody named after a TV star? <laughs> okay, we, have, we, got a, we got a couple. You're, you're famous. Come on, wave that hand up like that, right? Like, yeah. I mean, how many of you guys were named after an athlete? Anybody named after an athlete? How about named after a movie or a song? Getting out there a little ways? Okay. All right, I get it. Dave and Tiff, okay? Dave and Tiffany. My daughter Tiffany, son-in-law Dave, campus pastors in North Platte, they have four children as well. I'll introduce them to you here. Uh, they are four kids. Yeah, look at these. They were just taken. Uh, their oldest is Milo. Dave has tried to tell me where that name came from. I still can't figure it out. Um, Zion, right? That's a pretty biblical name. And then Bear. Got no idea where that came from. B-E-A-R, Bear. Dave says it's biblical. There's a bear in the Bible. So uh, <laughs> David, David fought a bear. So, so there, there you go with that. And then just a few weeks ago, their youngest was born City. City. Yeah, like the name. C-I-T-Y. City. I, I can't figure it out. It's special to them, though. I, I did suggest to them if they ever have another child, they're going to have to think really outside the box, maybe go like for a planet, like Jupiter or something like that. <laughs> uh, I don't know what their plans are, but there's a suggestion for you, okay? So they have, they have four kids, right? And they, they name them all these special names. So God, he gave parents this unique privilege and assignment to give a name that would last for a lifetime to the next generation, But God did this very same thing with his son, Jesus. Mary, you know, she gets visited by an angel. An angel's a messenger from God. God sends a message to Mary from his heart to Mary. And this is what he says to her in Luke chapter 1. He says, look, don't be afraid, And the angel told her, for you, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Right. So even God is saying, look, there's something special about this name. I want my son to have this name. Let's call him Jesus. Now, just for a minute, let, let's, let's dissect this just for a second, okay? Because I hear a lot of people referring to Jesus as Jesus Christ. And I think that some people think that Jesus had the last name Christ. And I just want to clear up the air for a little bit, okay? The last name of Jesus is not Christ, Okay, I, I'm not really sure that I know what his last name is. But I know this, the last name's not Christ because Christ is his title. 
Christ is another name for Messiah. Messiah is a savior. The Jewish people have been looking for a savior or a liberator. The name Messiah means savior, liberator, a ruling king that was to come. Those who still practice to this day Judaism, they're still waiting for a Messiah to come because they don't believe that Jesus has, was the Messiah. They don't believe he was the savior or the liberator. But as Christians, and billions of us, by the way, around the world, billions, that we believe that Jesus fulfilled the role of Messiah. He fulfilled the role of being the Christ as the savior and the liberator of our soul. So the proper way to refer to Jesus, if you're going to use the word Christ with it, would be to say it this way, Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the liberator. Jesus the savior, right? Or Jesus is the Christ. So Christ is definitely not his last name, but Christ is his title, Messiah. And God the Father spoke about Jesus who was going to come 4,000 years before he ever showed up, before he was ever born. It's about 4,000 years between the time that Adam was born in the lineage of things until Jesus shows up on the scene being born you know, from the virgin like we just read about in Luke chapter 1. 4,000 years. So 4,000 years before Jesus ever is born, God speaks about him coming. He speaks about him coming, though, by rebuking Satan for the tempting that he has done to Adam and to Eve by, by encouraging them to eat from the tree of knowledge. And once they sinned and they fell, and then God the Father is interacting with them, he rebukes Satan for this, and in the rebuke, he says these words in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He, being Jesus, he, Satan, will strike your head, and, and you will only be able really to strike his heel. He will be so much greater than you, he'll crush you. There'll be no battle. So if you ever get this image in your mind that Satan is somewhat equal in authority or power with Jesus, God's established this back in Genesis that there is no equal between Christ, the Christ, and Satan. There is no equal between those two. The Messiah, Jesus, is so much greater than Satan ever will be. In fact, he says that he will crush him underneath his foot, his head, the, the authority of the being he will crush, and that the being Satan will only be able to attack even at his heel at that best. So God the Father was referring to Jesus in this statement, declaring that Jesus would be the Messiah. He would become the savior by crushing the enemy, the liberator by crushing the enemy of your soul and of my soul. And that, but here's what's interesting. The Jewish people were awakened to the fact that a Messiah was coming, a liberator and a savior of their soul, a mighty king who would rule one day. They were awakened to this prophecy, this fact, somewhere around 1,000 to 800 years before Jesus was ever born. And especially awakened to it because they were in an oppressive uh, state in captivity with the Assyrians who had come in and you know, besieged their land and had basically turned them into slaves and was ruling them you know, in an unjust manner. And when they were faced with some of the most difficult times under the, under the Assyrians and the Syrian army, the people, the people started listening to a prophet and his name's Isaiah. 
In the, in the Old Testament, there's a book called Isaiah. And this prophet Isaiah is an oracle. He's hearing from God, speaking God's heart to the people. And while they're in this desperate state of captivity and you know being um, ruled over by a hostile group of people, they're crying out basically, like, what in the world? Like, where are we at? What's, where's our hope? Is this where our entire nation ends? And Isaiah the prophet speaks God's heart to them. And he starts proclaiming this Messiah that's going to come. You can read about it if you'll look, and I would encourage you to do this today. Take your Bibles and later today read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, because in Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, the prophet speaks God's heart to the people to give them hope about this liberator, this savior, this mighty king that's to come even while they're in a state of captivity. But while God was declaring this Messiah to come, in verse 6, he unfolds something profound for us. He unfolds to us what the name Jesus actually is going to mean. He he pulls back the veil and he goes, let me tell you why it's so important that I call him Jesus, son of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, he says, "This this is the reason why. Take a listen to it. It says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. Now, we know this already to be Jesus. The government will rest on his shoulders. But look at this. He will be called. But what was he called? He was called Jesus, wasn't he? So here's the meaning behind it all. He'll be called Jesus, but here's what, it's, here's what the meaning is. Here's what sits behind all of it. Here's what the, the authority, the character, and the nature is. He'll be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And in those unique names, they create the imagery of who Christ is, the Messiah, Jesus. Now, part of this prophecy, Isaiah chapter 6, was fulfilled when Jesus was born. But there's still part of it to be fulfilled when Jesus returns again and he comes for his church. There's still parts of it that are still going to be fulfilled. So today I want to look at something with you. I want to look at the first two words that Jesus, the Messiah, is called. He's called first, wonderful, and then second, he's called counselor. Now look, in in many of the modern day translations, it will just simply say it that way, wonderful counselor. For some of you who might be carrying around a King James version, it says wonderful comma counselor. When you look at the original language and you look at these words, he wasn't defining a counselor that's wonderful. He's defining the Messiah Christ, Jesus, who is to come, who is going to be both wonderful and a counselor. So let's look at the word wonderful first. The word wonderful literally means this, incomprehensible. Now, that's not the way we use the word wonderful today. In fact, I think I used the word wonderful this last week over a meal that I ate. Like, wow, that was wonderful. I've used the word wonderful over things I like, over things that bring me joy, over things that are pleasant, right? And we just say, like, wow, that's wonderful. But that's not what the prophet Isaiah, nor is it what God was speaking through the prophet when he was trying to define who his son Jesus is going to be. The word wonderful translates itself to this concept of being incomprehensible, meaning that there are no words to describe the true nature, character, power, and authority of Jesus. That in our humanity, we're limited by it. It's incomprehensible to think that we could even get close to defining who Jesus is by just mere words of English or any other language that you might speak on this earth. And that in our you know, frail hum- hu- human state, we, can, we can't even wrap our minds around the totality that is God, much less wrestle with the fact that Jesus was 
was God in flesh. Like You'll never truly figure all that out until you stand before God and you look him eye to eye and he's able to explain to you how does Jesus come to be fully man and fully God. He's wonderful. He's incomprehensible. There are no words to define it. So in that sense, the word wonderful should leave you kind of somewhat awestruck when you think of Jesus. Awestruck. Like, what recently in your life has caused you to be in awe? It just caused you to be in awe. Like, wow, that's, in these terms, it's wonderful. It's incomprehensible. Like, for me, I thought back, and I thought to myself, you know, when my oldest daughter, Brittany, you saw her picture, when she was born, and I held her in my arms. And I'm holding this eight pound, some ounce, because I don't remember all the details. I do remember this, beautiful, beautiful little girl. And I'm just, I'm, I'm holding her and I don't even know how to hold a baby. You know, I was like, she's the first one. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this will just be a win if she doesn't cry. And I hold her and I'm like, you're a miniature human. Like everything that's inside of me is inside of you, but just in a little itsy bitsy like space. A little heart that beats, lungs that breathe, a little liver that does whatever it does. <laughs> it's all there, but just in a little bit, a little form. And then, and then you look at her hands and you saw her fingers and they were just so dainty with little fingernails on the end of them. And then you check to make sure she had all of her toes. <laughs> you know, that's what every first parent does. Like one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, okay, we're good. All right. 12, what? Uh, was that in your family or my, oh, I don't know. And so I'm, I'm looking at her and I'm like, the details of her face and it just was incomprehensible. But you know, I, I've never lost that. Just a few weeks ago, I held in these same arms our newest grandson, City. And I thought the same thing as I held him. Like, this is amazing. I'm in awe of this. And in the same way, in what ways are you in awe of the wonder and the incomprehensible concept of Christ, Jesus, the Messiah? Have you lost your wonder of him? Have you forgotten that he was born at, you know, in a virgin's birth? Incomprehensible, you explain that to me. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit can anything like that happen. And still, even though you know it's through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's still like, but how? How? Incomprehensible. The wonder of, of Jesus, the Christ. Or maybe you've forgotten about this healing power. Where the Bible says so many different times in just a few amount of words that they brought all of the sick to him and he healed them all. All. Could have been 10, 20, 100. At times it was everyone sick in the town was brought to him and he healed them all. Or at other times he, he spat into, into the dust and he created mud and he put it into someone's eyes that were blind. And when it was washed away, they saw again. Incomprehensible. Was the prophet correct in speaking God's heart? You know, 800 years before Jesus ever showed up on the scene when he said he was wonderful, I would say to you, yes, and the evidence is in his lifestyle. Maybe you've forgotten his amazing teaching because even at the time that Jesus taught, these were the words that were said about him in Mark. Mark chapter one said the people were amazed at his teaching 
for he taught with a real authority quite unlike the teachers of religious law. And it, the, the teachings of Jesus, they still cause us to be in wonder to this day. Like, love your enemy? Seriously? Like, it seems like the best thing would be to have revenge on my enemy. Right? And all the other teachings that Jesus has, they're just mind-boggling. They'll blow your mind away. Maybe you forgot and maybe you've lost your awe and your wonder of Jesus that he lived a sinless life. Because I guarantee you, every single one of us that are in this room today, in North Platte, you know, watching from your home today, myself included, we're not, we can't claim to be sinless. We have sin in our lives, maybe, you know, just from moments ago. But yet he lived a sinless life. That's part of the wonder of who he is. And Hebrews 4 speaks to it. Says this high priest being Jesus of ours, he understands our weaknesses. This will be important for later. He understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. It causes me to be in wonder, incomprehensible wonder of who Jesus is. Last but not least, have you lost your wonder of the resurrection? Of the fact that he, he died. He died a criminal's death on a cross, but yet he rose again on the third day. Have you lost your wonder of that? You lose your wonder of the resurrection, you're losing your wonder in the power of who Jesus really is. We only worship him because he rose again, not because he just he gave his life on the cross. That was only half the equation. If he gives his life on the cross, but he doesn't rise again, everything was done for nothing. But because he rose again, he became wonderful. So because he's wonderful, what should we do? Here's my encouragement to every single one of us today. In some practical fashion, put your trust in the incomprehensible wonder of Jesus today. Put your trust in the wonder of Jesus to live a godly lifestyle and to overcome the power of sin you're facing right now. That would be a practical way to put your trust in the incomprehensible wonder of the power of who Jesus is is to say, God, my life doesn't line up with your word, but I want it to. Would you help me? Would you give me the power and the authority to overcome the sin that is so easily entangling my life? He knew how to do that. I guarantee you, he's the only one that's gonna be able to help you overcome that as well. How about this? Trust in the wonder of Jesus for the weight of the leadership that you have to carry. If you're a leader, meaning you're a parent, you need to put your trust in the incomprehensible wonder and awe of who Jesus is just to make wise decisions for those little ones that you're raising, for that next generation, for those adolescents who are challenging your authority right now. Or maybe your leadership in the sense that you're a boss and you have to oversee and you have to manage people and resources and you need his leadership to accomplish that so you don't make foolish decisions. So you don't end up making decisions that get you down the road someplace that cause a lot of havoc and trouble and problems. Put your trust in him. That means call out to him when you have to make big decisions. Take a minute. Shut the meeting down. Walk out of the meeting if you have to. Quietly pray to yourself before you make the key decision, before you reprimand the employee, before you give guidance or counsel to them, before you have to invest a large sum of money or you have to make a critical decision. Like, let the power and the authority, the incomprehensible wonder and awe of Jesus intercept your leadership. He'll help you with that. Put your trust in the wonder of Jesus for your sickness that you might be carrying today or for the sickness of others. 
that you love and you care about, who seem like they're facing something that's so daunting that how in the world would they ever overcome it? Put your trust in the wonder of Jesus for hope. For hope. Hope to live for something that's so much greater than what this earth could ever provide for you. Hope in a life that's beyond this world. That none of you who are listening to my voice today are living for a finish line that ends in a grave. You're all living for a finish line that ends in the authority, power, and presence of the almighty Christ Jesus. Put your hope in the power and the incomprehensible wonder and awe of Jesus by just simply trusting in what he says. That's where some of you need to start. Some of you just need to start with what Jesus said in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'm going to follow. What God's word says, I'm going to apply to my life. Right? I'm just going to simply start applying it to my life and see what in the world happens. So Jesus, he is wonderful because he's incomprehensible. And he should, he should drive some sense of awe inside of all of us. But the second part of the meaning of this name, Jesus, Son of God, is this, the word counselor. Counselor. The word counselor means probably something similar to what you think it means. right? One who listens intently to you. One, and one who gives wise advice to you. Every great leader cherishes wise counsel around them. Every great leader. There isn't a great leader that's ever walked on the face of this earth or who is leading today or who will ever lead in the future who doesn't cherish, cherish wise counsel around them. Great leaders, they need it. They demand it. They need people to speak into the situation. Right? They might have the, what they think is the most incredible idea, but then they bring it to the table and other people speak into it and it seems to morph and change slightly and then they go out and they accomplish it because they've recognized that they can't see 360 degrees all the way around them. They might be called the leader, but that means they're leading people. They need those people to speak into the situation. And you and me, we have a great counselor on our team. Jesus is a wise counselor who lived on this earth, meaning he, he suffered the way you suffered. He was rejected the way you've been rejected. He's been misunderstood like you've been misunderstood. He's even been betrayed like you've been betrayed. And you have a counselor who has empathy, who has compassion for what you're facing today because he's walked through it. And you have a counselor who has all of the wisdom of the universe to offer to you if you will just ask of him. Here's what Colossians 2 says about this incredible counselor says, in him, Jesus, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all of them. Isn't it amazing that he holds all of the wisdom and knowledge of all things, but yet we try to accomplish everything on our own? <laughs> when we have this resource in Jesus, the counselor, but we so rarely will go to him because we think that it's just the mundane that we deal with. It's like, it's like the, the most wicked trap of the enemy ever to get us wrapped up into the mundane and to never ask Jesus the advice that we need to be asking him for. So in light of the fact that he's a wise counselor who holds you know, the treasure of wisdom and knowledge for all things, what should we do? Here's what we should do. Let's go back to a scripture we just read, Hebrews chapter four. Let's look at verses 15, but let's also go on and read 16. Read this with me, right? This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So in light of that, 
So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to, ha- and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. So in light of the fact that Jesus, he understands your, your, your weaknesses. He understands you know, the struggles, the trials that you face. He understands the betrayal. He understands the rejection. Right? He understands the stress of it all. Because he understands all of that, and because he's lived a sinless life, we can come to him boldly and seek him and seek his advice. You can come to Jesus boldly today with anything you're struggling with, and I would encourage you to do that. In just a minute, when we all stand to worship God and to respond to him, bring to him whatever it is you're struggling with. Why? Because Jesus wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. I think some people think that Jesus, this this wonderful counselor, he he doesn't want to hear from you, but he told us to come to him and to pray to him. Listen to what he said in these two different passages. Philippians 4, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. That's that's the heart of God going, come to me. All right, but if you don't believe that one, then look at James chapter one. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. He's not gonna rebuke you for asking him for wisdom. That's why I said earlier to all leaders, we should be asking him for wisdom on a regular basis. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of lack of faith. It's a sign of surrender and understanding who the real authority is. So instead, guys, of trying to fix everything on our own, let's start praying and inviting the Holy Spirit to give us wise counsel in making all the decisions that we need to make. And let's seek his counsel first. Because I love what Hebrews chapter 4 said. It says that we should seek him when we need, when we need it most. Here's an interesting fact about that one statement, when you need it most. Most of the time, you don't know when you need it most but someone near you does. It's called our blind spot. And in my blind spot are things that I can't see about myself. And if you will let your team, the people that God put around you, it could be your spouse, it could be, it could be a manager that works for you, it could be a partner in business that's with you, it could be your life group leader, um, it could be one of our pastors on, on staff, But if you will humble yourself at times, there'll be times when other people will be speaking to you, telling you, you you need it right now. You need it most right now. You need what? You need to seek God's wisdom and counsel right now. You know, here's the other voice you need to really be listening to, even over all of those, is the voice of the Holy Spirit that's inside of you. Because he's the one who's telling you, you know what? You've walked down the road a little too far. You went a little too far on your own on this one. You need to backtrack. You need to come back to the throne of God. You need to humble yourself before him. You need to seek his counsel right now because he's got some advice for you that you need right now when, you, when we need it most. Can I just maybe just say this as, as well about when we need it most? When don't you need the counsel of the Holy Spirit in your life? When don't you need it? When are you so good that you just don't need the one who holds the the wisdom of the universe. So today, as we get ready to come to him, let's come to him knowing that we're in desperate need of him if we're gonna accomplish anything amazing. So Jesus is your wonderful counselor, and you can trust him. Why? Because he loves you with an everlasting love. Romans chapter five, verse eight reminds us of that, that Jesus loved us. Even while we were still sinners, he loved us. 
So if Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, he loved you when you turned your back on him, when your back was turned on him and you were running however you wanted to, Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says the character and the nature of Jesus is that he loved you with an everlasting love, then I would say to you in this, that this same incomprehensible, wonderful love that Jesus has for you is something that you should seek today and say, Counselor, give me wisdom on what to do with my life. Give me wisdom on how to follow you. I surrender my life to you. You are incomprehensibly wonderful. You create an awe inside of me, and I need every ounce of your wisdom that you have to lead my life in a way that's going to bring glory and honor to you and will lead, the others, lead others back to you to have a relationship with you that radically transforms their life. Like Jesus, you're transforming my life. So I don't know about you, but I'm ready to spend the next few minutes in worship, worshiping a wonderful God who's also an amazing counselor. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that hundreds of years, hundreds of years before Jesus ever was born, that you were proclaiming who he would be. And that when we look at his life now, 2,000 years after he lived, We can look back and easily see that, yes, he was wonderful in so many ways. And yes, he is a wise counselor. So, Lord, we turn to you and we ask you, Lord, may may we never lose our, our wonder of you. May we never lose our awe of you. And may we have that today as we come and worship you. May we experience the power of your manifest presence in our midst. Holy Spirit, have your way today. Have your way here at our church. Inspire our worship inspire our humility. Lord, may some find their ways down even to the front, this altar area, this place of you know, humbling ourselves, and may the hungry come and just kneel down or just come and stand and worship you and say, God, I'm submitting my life to you. I'm humbling myself before you. So Jesus, have your way here in Carney. Have your way in North Platte. Meet people in their living room today. Do something so profound that all we could say is that you are wonderful and that you are a wonderful counselor. In Jesus' name, amen.